This is the Cop Think Podcast, where we answer the question, why do the police do what they do? I'm the host, Brian Casey, and my guest is Rondell Townsend. Did I say Ron Townsend yes. exactly right? Exactly right. All right, yes. and there you go by Town Townie, Ronnie, you said some people call you. Yeah. And then uh, the topic, I have a big asterisk for the topic. I kind of warned you about this. Yes, you I, did. I'm going to tell you why. Um, and it, it, I'm going to go on a little, uh, I think the word is soliloquy. <laughs> I don't know. It's a big, I don't know if I've ever used that word before. But just a little commentary on how we, uh, on the topic today. Okay. Um, you know, so I've done this podcast for a little while. Um, it, uh, the history and the goals of doing this Cop Thing podcast, one of them is um, self-serving, which I always like to mention right up front because sometimes, yeah. it, even being a cop, sometimes we're like, it's such a sacrifice. Well, a lot of us like the work, and it's outdoor right. work and all that. So it's right. not always pure service oriented. That's not a that's not a criticism. Another thing is that um, on the podcast, I kind of have this real interest in officer wellness, and I thought this would be a good way to message that. Yeah. And then there's also this um, I call it cop think because I really like trying to answer that question: Why the police do what they do? Uh, talking with interesting cops, collecting, I've kind of been a person that collects stories. But this issue that we're going to talk about has to do with race, and I started really thinking a lot about it, maybe post-Ferguson, um, post-Hightower, if that sounds yeah. familiar to you, Oh yeah. at our agency. Yeah. Um, and um, I started taking notes, because that's kind of my obsession, and thought, collect thoughts about why the police do what they do. Because I realize certainly the public doesn't always understand that for sure, and, and there's a lot of wild misunderstanding. Sometimes uh, when the public doesn't understand something, they assume there was like some sinister intent involved or assigned racism or something, where instead I would hope people would just try to be more curious. Um, so the wellness message thing, uh, people aren't that interested in the podcast. I mean, the, It's the, important. It's important, but I think the most feedback I get is from the... Um, when I talk with cops and, and I'll just tell you how we got to today because, you know, after only four or five podcasts featuring cops, um, uh, most of them are from our agency. Um, people start asking me questions. Why don't you have any female cops on? Yeah. And I thought, Oh, okay. And then another word, why don't we have any gay cop? Why aren't you interviewing gay cops? And why aren't you any, uh, I've had cops say, why don't you have any black cops on? Yeah. And it kind of threw me off a little bit and I'll tell you why I actually got a little defensive. And um, part of the reason I maybe got defensive, and I will admit that, is um, s some of the questions are asked as if somehow I was intentionally avoiding those groups, yeah, um, or their group. And um, but it's not like you don't know us. That's true, and and you and, see us and work with us daily. Exactly, and and I don't, I I don't know if this is, uh, I assume I don't know if it's how it's viewed, but I actually don't think in those terms very often. And and as far as the podcast goes. Um, I really wanted to int uh, uh, interview and talk to cops that I thought were interesting. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, if I just do that long enough, I'll include all, I'll include female cops and gay cops and black and brown cops and maybe literally cops that are left-handed and how that job, you yeah. know, that, I, I don't okay. mean to. I feel in two of those. Left-handed and black. Good, good. <laughs> Speaking of handed, what was your nickname on the street? Oh. Uh, I remember when you worked downtown, Pete. <laughs> Four fingers. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind mentioning why you have that? that oh, that? I have a, 
scar on my left hand where I'm missing my middle finger. And it just caught on. Yeah. So they they called you four fingers? Yeah. I remember that because I didn't even know you, but they would refer to you that way. Yeah. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. <laughs> sometimes here he comes. Really? Yeah. Um, it was a good reputation to have. Okay. I agree. You know, it was a good reputation on both sides. Sometimes it would be, here he comes. He's looking for somebody. Or here he comes. We can chat, talk, have fun. Yeah. Well, let's come back to that. Um, okay. The reason that we're talking, um, bring up the kind of the, the uh, I want to just acknowledge to you that I often don't have like an agenda other than a topic. And I was thinking, well, I just want to be upfront with you that I w I'm hoping that you will talk about maybe race, uh, what it's like to be a, a black or brown police officer. I'd love to. And I don't even know how you feel about those topics, nor do I feel I want you to feel that you represent uh, everyone everyone you know right. so so that's kind of how i wanted to get to it so also too is one thing in in i'll just say in my defense since i admitted i was somewhat uh, defensive is people didn't know all the people that i asked to be on the podcast that declined and people declined often for very mundane reasons like i'm too shy yeah i or some people like I'm afraid I'll get in trouble if I talk honestly about my thoughts or feelings. Or there's how a can that happen? How can you get in trouble about being honest with yourself? Well, you can if you verbalize those thoughts. Maybe I don't care. Yeah. Wow. That's a good intro then. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> so what? Um, so I just wanted to make sure you knew that I I have that in mind, um, mm -hmm. and um, I'm look forward to it. And like I said, you were the first person that when I brought up that topic said, let's do this. I think that was exact, your exact words. Yes, let's do this. Yeah. So how would you describe uh, what's going on in our city and uh, policing right now? With the death of Mr. George Floyd or just period? Well, how about take, take a shot at either of them? Let me take a shot at the death of Mr. George Floyd. Uh, it's... It's a horrible situation, first of all, but it, it is also feelings that black and brown people have had for a long time, and it's been ignored. And, you know, even, even myself having judgment of BLM, and because their focus is on police brutality and not crime, period, in black communities. And I, you know... At first, I didn't understand, you know, why you're focusing on the police so much when there's so much black on black crime that you should be focusing on and discussing and trying to make some change in that. But after watching Mr. Floyd die, it's like a bell went off. This is what they're fighting for. This is what they're fighting against. And I know all police officers, shouldn't say all, most were horrified by what we all witnessed on that video, horrified. For the black people, the black community, it falls on deaf ears that we're horrified and we speak out against it. And you may ask why in the heck does it fall on deaf ears when we're all horrified and mortified by what we just witnessed? Because we weren't horrified and mortified by watching Eric Garner die. There was no police chiefs or 
administration on TV saying, that man didn't have to die. He didn't have to get choked to death. Uh, the little 12-year-old boy, Tamir Rice, playing with a BB gun. There's no chiefs of police that say we're horrified by the actions that have taken place here. Uh, do we need to train differently how we approach people with guns or how we deal with somebody in a close quarter contact and, you know, so on and so forth? Is our training methods bad? Did we do something wrong? A 12-year-old boy lost his life. Didn't have to, in my opinion. So when, I, when you say talk about it, and we're talking about it, and we, for me, I think back to all the high-profile police shootings, how a lot of the police agencies didn't come out and say, hey, look, let me look at what we're doing. Maybe we need to train differently. Now, I'm, I'm going to purposely exclude out our department because I think our training has changed tremendously and for the better. And sometimes when I'm going through those training classes, I go, oh, no, not again. But then I'm a patrol boss. I go through my roll call, and every other day or so, I bring up a police video. And I tell the cops, look at how they're doing this handcuffing. We moan and groan about going through this class again and again. But look at these officers fight with someone. If they start using the techniques we're getting taught, they wouldn't have that much fighting to do. And it, you can see the cops sitting, listening to me. It's starting to sink in. But getting back to Mr. Floyd, we as police, in my opinion, we didn't speak out when the others were killed. There was nobody speaking out when the Tulsa, Oklahoma cop killed the guy that was having the car problems and maybe he was on drugs, I don't know. But an officer comes up, gun out right away. And you think, well, why? Why? Is that what we're taught? Is that how we're trained? So somewhere in that, there's got to be some personal bias or why is it all the time? So it made me start to understand what BLM was fighting about. Sometimes they don't wait until they have all the information. Case in point, last August, September, when our young officer was involved in that shooting, you know, they right away jumped the gun and said it was this or that. And it wasn't this or that. That poor officer, in my opinion, had no other choice except to die or to defend himself. And he did the latter. But when I look at what's happening and what's going on in the city, I see a lot of opportunists. I see people looting, rioting, not peaceful protesting, not making great suggestions for change, not asking cops, how do you train? Is this the way you're supposed to do things? You know, I have some people ask me that. And, you know, when you give them a straight answer and you tell them that's not what we do, that's not what we train, that's not how things are supposed to go. You know, some get it and some hear you, but they're not listening because they go, why didn't you speak out when all these other things happen? And if I can be corrected, please correct me. But from my own personal experience, I just didn't see that happening. And now when this horrible incident happens, you know, I watch, I don't watch a lot of news because it's always bad news. 
So I'm watching all the police chiefs and sheriffs and everyone, you know, talking about how horrible Mr. Floyd died. And it was horrible. But you get those people who are protesting peacefully, asking the question, why? Why does this continue to happen? And why haven't you spoken out in previous times? What um what about you mentioned Rice and Garner and Floyd? Mm-hmm. What about those incidents made you what did you see that made you th- think it had something to do with race? Well, with with Garner being choked to death. It seemed like okay, yeah, sure he was a bigger man, but it seemed like he wasn't fighting back. And when someone's not fighting you back, why do you continue to do something choking. And when he said he couldn't breathe, why didn't you believe him? Because, you know, I've heard in training, if someone can talk, then they can, they can breathe. Well, <laughs> sometimes that's not necessarily true. That might be the only thing you can get out. Uh, young Tamir Rice in the park with a gun, a replica gun that looks like a real gun. And from my own experience as a cop, I don't drive right up on that person and then have my rookie that I'm training get out with their gun drawn. Now, they said the young man was taking the gun out of his waistband and he could have been dropping it. When I see a child, I'm thinking of my own children. I'm thinking, would I want to do something to my own child? Is that me taking a chance? Yeah, it is. But I can never get that bullet back if I let it go. And I'm wrong. In that case, I thought it was a police officer inexperienced and quick to see young black man with a gun. He must be dangerous. To me, I'm seeing a young kid that could be my kid that's making a bad choice. So let me see if I can talk to my kid to stop him from doing what he's doing before I'm pulling my gun to shoot him, because I can't get that back. Uh, with Garner, when he couldn't fight anymore, that's, I'm done. But how are those, how is, those seem like we're talking about tactics to me. I still don't, A understand, lot of it is, I still don't understand the, where the race is, or well, racism is uh, evident. If, if you're a white police officer, and you jump on this big man's back and he quits fighting you, why wouldn't you stop? What's making you not? What makes you continue to squeeze? Good question. What makes, what ma- I forget the officer's name in New York. What made him continue? Yeah. I don't know. Would he have stopped? If it was just a big white guy that said, I'm done. I can't breathe. I'm done. You're choking me to death. Would he have stopped? So it, it doesn't make sense to your ears when you hear it. He didn't stop because it's a black dude. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. But would he have stopped if it was a white guy? And it leads you to believe or think, I don't know. I don't it's know. a bad tactic. I Shouldn't agree. have been done. Right. Even the Tamir Rice one, um, I, let's say that it's clearly... You don't drive right up on a call like that. No, you don't. But however, let's just, let me just 
interject the thought that maybe they thought he was on the other side of the park or maybe whatever. Let's just say right. that, that they mis they miscalculated their approach. Mm-hmm. Done they, that plenty of times. And the cop jumps out and um, the cop jumps out and he um, let's say that he had this that, that this kid would have been maybe older with felonious intent and had an intention of shooting this officer. I mean, I, I'm just how do you know? How, you don't know, mm-hmm. but but it was a gun he, um, reportedly pointed at him. So I'm just I'm, I'm still not seeing the automatic assumption that it's race. All right, let me give you another example. In Miami, there was personal care attendant working with, I believe, a young autistic male. Male was Caucasian. Police get called for whatever reason, I don't know. The personal care attendant is on his knees with his hands up, and the cop still shoots him. Now, maybe it was sympathetic reflex. You know, that happens in our trade. Sure. Maybe it wasn't. But in my mind, as a cop, when someone gives me the give up signal, I'm not doing anything. I'm his care attendant. He's having some issues right now. Why is my gun pointed at you? Well, I think um, I'm, I, I didn't mean to drag you into a case-by-case uh, events. because um, mm-hmm. And I'm not even prepared to, I don't know enough about a lot of these issues um, to, to, sit, but, to have a huge opinion about. Yeah, uh, but your question was, what makes me think that it's about race? Yeah. So what makes me think that it wouldn't be? I can't give you an answer either way. Yeah. That's going to make sense to you. Make sense. As, as a black man, being a police officer, sometimes I see what I call negative intentions towards someone because of the color of their skin. I don't see the understanding. I don't see the benefit of the doubt. You know, that's where I work today now. Right. I always see, let's start hard first. And then we figure out things later. But when you start hard first, sometimes you can't figure things out later. Absolutely. So so are you describing that with, with uh, black people that we encounter? Yeah. Cops tend to start hard first. Yes, sometimes. Not all the time. Yeah, but generally they do, you're saying. Sometimes. Yeah, enough yeah. to get your attention and go... This seems out of balance or unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen citizens try to make cops go into that mode when they don't have to. But I've seen cops bite on it, and they just go with it. I'm going, well, why? Yeah. Yeah. Then I've seen the opposite. When the perpetrator is white, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, um, so... This idea of um, why cops do what they do, mm-hmm. this is a topic that's super interesting to me. And um, again, I didn't anticipate talking specifically about cases, but the. Yeah. the but one, that's the only way to give you good examples. No, I just I feel vulnerable to talk about stuff that I don't know very much about. But or, that's why you're asking me. Yeah. Well, but let me ask you this then. Yeah. So then the, the Floyd case in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. there was that second officer there, and he's, he's facing the crowd. Yeah. Right. And I heard a police expert, a local police expert, say he was doing absolutely nothing. 
And I was thinking, well, then you're not a police expert because no. there's such thing as cover officer. Yes. Where you actually, and, and why would an off, why would an officer, uh, instead of attending or helping or work with his partner, turn towards the crowd? So what, why would an officer do that? What hard lessons have we learned that make that a? So to me, that officer keeping the crowd back. Right. That was his job. Exactly. That was his job. You are the cover officer, and it's your job to keep people off of us. And that was his job. But when he, if I remember the video correctly, I only watched it a couple of times because I couldn't watch it. When he turned around and looked at the officer on the ground, Chauvin, kneeling on him and continuing to, you could see his body language, in my mind, wanted to stop him. Yeah. You could see that. But he didn't. So what makes him stop? Stop from intervening? Yes. Yeah. What makes him stop? What do you think makes him stop? That officer is a senior officer. Yeah. He's worried about being the cop that said, hey, stop. He's worried about being the whistleblower. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Yeah. He's worried about being blackballed in the job. You know, you don't want to be that officer that, hey, I just fought with a guy and here's my own partner pulling me off and grabbing me. Right. I could have got punched in the face. You didn't. But that's what police officers today, I tell my officers this in roll call, if, and I always use me. If you see me losing it yeah. and not in control, please stop me because me is going to get you in trouble. Well, I, I think um, that's becoming very clear. I can think of numerous examples that I've seen where op we all have our buttons that get pushed. Mm -hmm. And uh, where officers who know each other will um, say, I got this, or signal to them. Or I've even seen cops chest bush, chest um, pump, um, what's the word? Chest bump. Chest bump each other, yeah. like, get out of the way, I'm on this. Yeah. And, and you know, and that, it actually is sometimes well-received after you cool down a little bit. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm not thinking straight. Right. But the reason I bring it up with uh, um, the one is, why would an officer, so let me ask you this, yeah. then why would an officer treat a young black male differently? Be more, come on hard quicker. Um, why would they, um, I, 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 you didn't say this, but why would they treat them as more uh, Aggressive, dangerous? Aggressive, dangerous? Yeah. Uh, stereotype. Stereotype. History. Hollywood. You name it. I don't watch the news because it, it constantly shows people that look like me in a bad light. Constantly. Never doing anything positive. But if a police officer is at greater risk of being harmed by a young black male, why wouldn't a police officer recognize that and behave differently? And maybe, you want, maybe we dispute what I just said, that they're not at greater risk. Well, I'm going to dispute that. Anybody that shows you the signals, the what do we call the pre-attack uh, indicators, yeah. indicators, you better believe it. You better believe what your eyes are seeing. Mm -hmm. You better believe what your gut's telling you. You better believe that the hair's standing up on your neck because your eyes are seeing something and your brain's telling you. Right. Now, on the flip side of that, don't start out that way when you're not getting the pre-attack. Uh, signals when you're not getting them. Do you, do you think 
So you're you're saying judge people by behavior? Absolutely. Um, I think cops don't get enough credit for that. Cops are the best at it. I agree, and that that we judge people based on their behavior. I think, I feel, and I believe, I should say, is that we are being told, don't judge people by their behavior. Judge people by the color of their skin. That's ridiculous. Well, but but what is what is some of the training that we're that law enforcement is forced to take? It's basically don't be a racist training. Judge people. I mean, there's an assumption made. That we are racist. Yeah, yeah. Or, and well, it's tacitly agreed to because... There's also a history of it. In law enforcement. Yes. Yes. So it, it's, it's not presented correctly when we have those trainings because I think they're a joke. Yeah. You know, I think they're a joke. They're a big joke. Why are they a joke? Uh, first of all, police officers are the best profilers ever. That's what we do. We judge people's body language, the words come out of their mouths, the look in their eyes, the way their faces look, and we get good at it. And, and why are we good at it? Why are we motivated to be good at it? Experience, and it could save your life, right. and it could save someone else's life. So we're highly motivated. Highly. Yeah. Sometimes we're too good at it. Yeah, interesting. Sometimes we don't, we can see that, but hey, I don't have anything as far as under the Constitution to, uh, to do something about it. So we got to wait till something happens. Yeah. But those pre-attack signals, profiling, we're great at it. And people say, why do you profile? You're racially profiling. No, it's not racially profiling. It's criminally profiling. Yes. Now, if a duck walks through this room and quacks, you and I will say it's a duck. Somebody else might say it's a platypus. It happens. Yeah. But how do we explain that to duck on a police report? You have to be good at it, and you get good at it from experience. Sure. Now, what was your question? I got way off track. Um, I don't remember. Uh, something to the effect, why are we... Oh, why, why, why do... So what I'm saying is the reason that cop on 38th in Chicago faced that crowd, mm -hmm. and, and the police expert said he was doing absolutely nothing, and I'm thinking, well, you're not a police expert because right. you don't know what why police do what they do right they do this for damn good reason yeah he's that's doing a, his that's job that's a specific role yeah. did, did he fail in other ways well that's the discussion we can have but yeah but, his but it, role at that point when the crowd started gathering was right. to keep the crowd and i just back. picked one scenario yeah so my, i guess my question is so if white cops which you're suggesting they do react differently to black let's just say young black males mm-hmm I'm wondering why they would do that. And you were, oh, and I know, then we talked about the stereotypes in the yeah. media and how black people are portrayed. Yes, are, in history. In history. Yeah, you, you can't run away from history. And people, okay, I have an issue with people saying, oh, it's black history. No, it's American history. Right. It's how America was built. It's how America thrived. And you have to understand the history of America and believe it. Okay, but if you say you can't run away from history, do you need to pull it forward continuously, too? You need to know it. You need to know why some people may believe something a certain way. Uh -huh. And you just need to know why. <clears throat> if you were accustomed to eating caviar every night, and that's what you had all the time, mm -hmm. and then I all of a sudden told you you're eating hot dogs from now on, 
and you'll go BS because I love caviar every night and that's what I'm accustomed to. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm used to. And that's what I'm going to have. And I'll tell you, no, that life is over. You're eating hot dogs. You wouldn't like that too much. Uh, maybe not. I don't know if I agree. And I'll tell you a Studs Terkel story. You know who Studs Terkel is? No, I don't. <laughs> I actually met him and I shook his hand. Studs Terkel was, he's long dead. He wrote a book called, um, I think, The Depression. And he was a collected stories. And he um, would talk, tell these stories and, and collect them from what he said were common people. I think he loved humanity. So Studs Terkel tells a story where a guy... Uh, there's two men during the Depression, and one's used to eating steak, and one's yeah. used to eating beans. And when during the Depression, when there was no food, and the guy that was used to eating steak, the wife says, we got beans tonight, he, he nearly fell down crying. And when the wife said to the one that used to eating beans, we got beans tonight, he says, good, I'm hungry. So my point is, is that um, beans can sustain us. Um, that's a fabulous story. However, I don't know if it fit perfectly with, with well, I get yours. What you're saying. Beans can sustain us. And, and I don't but, know if we... So if you're crying, you don't have caviar, but you have hot dogs. I'm not so sure you're missing out that much. Right. Okay, let me put it in a different perspective. You, you being a white guy doesn't have to worry about certain things I have to worry about. So if that's, if that's the history of your life... How do you change that? And someone says you don't get these, you don't get these, uh, you don't get these choices anymore. Uh -huh. We're gonna make it for you. You don't get this opportunity anymore. So I got choice. I have choices, and I grew up with choices as a white man that you didn't, or maybe another. I didn't. Well, no, 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 no. We all have choices. The things that you seek and earn are a little easier than the way I seek and earn. I have a few more hoops to jump through. And that's all. And, and it's not your fault. It's the fault of our history. And that's when people can't talk about race today is because they don't recognize history. And when you say, do we have to pull history forward? We do all the time because you will learn from it. If you don't learn from your history, you'll make the same mistakes again. Uh -huh. So, you know, I've been watching a few shows on Netflix here and there. And I heard a guy say something very interesting. He said, we came out of slavery. And we recreated s slavery with changing laws. And who got to change those laws? And they came up with what is called Jim Crow laws in the penal system. So we put men in jail for whatever made up crime I wanted and made them work for free. Got through that. Then came segregation and the fight against segregation. That was a long fight, a lot of years. Got through that. And the person who was saying this was a white guy and he said, now we're dealing with the so-called colorblind society that doesn't want to recognize race as an issue and doesn't want to see people based on the color of their skin. 
well, I can't go put this in the closet and hang it up. Neither can you hang history up in your closet and ignore it. And that's what people are doing. They're ignoring history or it's twisted. And if you learn about history, where and why slavery started, how it started, capitalism, money, and who started it on a supremacy level. And if you understand that, you will see why, I don't know, four centuries later, five centuries later, how it's hard to break through that for everyone, you and I today together. I'm not angry with you. I'm not angry with society, but I do want to make it better. You know, as one of my coworkers said, if we lined up on a race on a football field and the whistle blew and I told you to wait at the goal line and the other person, you can't start until he gets to the 50. And then when you start, I might stop you anytime. And by that time, you already reached your goal. Can you give me a specific example in your life where that occurred? Yes, I can being qualified for a job that you know you had experience for than the other candidates and you weren't hired. And the other candidates were a different race than you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I've heard Asian people tell me that story as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard men say that about women. Yeah. I've heard women say that about men. Right. I've heard gay people say that about straight people. Yes. Um, is it is this is that an well, exclusive experience of black people? Yes, but no. Have you heard a white man say that at all? That he didn't get the job because a black guy got the job. Uh, I have. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say yes for sure. I have, and it's never based on the black guy's experience or know-how or education, it's always based on his skin color. Um, so tell me what it's, what it's like to be uh, a black police officer. And I'll, let me just say this. Sure. I didn't think of myself as a white police officer mm-hmm. for a long time. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't think of myself as a... And now I do think of myself as a white police officer. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a uh, disappointment it's kind of a loss, I think, meaning now I think of myself as a white police officer where I thought of myself just as a police officer. Maybe that was naive on my part. Have you always thought of yourself as a black police officer? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm born in the skin. I'm proud to be in the skin. I don't want to be any, in any other skin. So let's make that clear. But being a black police officer has a lot of pride. And it has a lot of downfall. The pride part, you're representing your people. And if you know something about black society, sometimes, probably not as much today, but what one of us did, behaved, acted, or whatever, it was representing all of us. You don't know that unless you're in our community and understand that. So yes, the pride was very strong. Downfall. Yes, I had to perform better. I had to do things, I shouldn't say harder, but 
it was expected of me to be able to do something difficult and not be rewarded for it. Now, case in point, I was training as a police officer in this department and in the previous department I worked for. I'm not going to name them, but one particular evening in the previous police department, I'll make the story fast. We go on a domestic. Guy's sitting on a chair. He refuses to leave the house. We're in a living room probably as big as your dining room here. That's pretty small for a living room area. And it's me by FTO and another officer. This guy sitting on the chair, refusing to leave, said he's not going anywhere. He's black. He pulls out a butcher knife, <laughs> probably 13, 14 inches long. Now, he's in striking distance of us instantly. Now, we can't retreat. This place is small. And if we did retreat, we'd fall all over each other. And there were other people in the house, the woman who wanted him to go, and the children. Mm -hmm. So now we got to keep ourselves between him and the children. Unbeknownst to me, the other officer who wasn't training me had been in a police shooting not long before. His gun came out extremely fast, and he was locked on him. My FTO, we could not move because we didn't want to get this guy up, but we did have our guns out. I started a dialogue with this man, and it took close to 20 minutes, half hour, seemed longer, and I got him to put the knife down just by talking to him and telling him I understand his heartache and what he's going through. He believed me. He would not talk to the others. So when you ask me, what is it like to be a black police officer? We have to go into, let me make this clear. Being a black police officer is very important because most of the people we have to police as far as crime being committed is in our neighborhoods. When people see me, even if they don't know me, they know um, I got a 50-50 chance of getting a fair shake. And I got maybe a 95-5% getting a fair shake from the white officer. But I got a 50-50 chance to get a fair shake with him or her. So there's a lot of responsibility. Now going back to that incident, after it was all said and done, we got this guy some mental health help so I thought I did a good job so what kind of grade that day you think I would have gotten if we're on a one to five system I thought I would have gotten a five I got a three I didn't get the high score that I thought I would have gotten and it and it kind of bothered me and I thought oh it's just one of these hoops I got to jump through and similar incident happened on this job, when one of my classmates and I responded to a domestic, I kind of solved the situation, got a peaceful solution. And my classmate kind of jumped in at the end. And at the end of the night, when we were winding down, and that classmate was discussing how they did so well and the kind of score they got. I got the average score. What I'm hearing, though, is that if you're a black man and good and bad things happen in your life, yeah. you see it through the 
through a, through a lens of it's because I'm a black man. Yeah, you can't help it. Okay, why, but how do you else? know it's accurate? Well, okay. Something as simple as you get a five and you get a three and you both were there doing the same thing. And you, who got the three, you even did more. But you're still getting a three. So what are you basing on? Well, it's hard not to make, uh, to make assumptions that it has to do with something very obvious, maybe. Right. Yeah. No, I get why you do it. I just don't know. I don't know if it's accurate. Well, like because I've been, I've, I've talked to, I've had a range of cops, and, and including myself, that I felt like, well, I didn't get what I deserved. Mm -hmm. And then you start to think. You, it's, it's, you start to look at how am I different, you know? Yeah. And the obvious thing comes to light to me. Yeah. Maybe not to you, but to me. Sure. And I think yes. that's the point you're making is that that's part of your frame of reference. Yeah. That's well earned. Is, is, well, I put words in your mind. In no, your it's mouth. not putting words in my mind. Uh, in your mouth. I in my mouth, I mean, yeah. Now, remember a little while ago we had our, our co-workers, our own people try to give a race relations class. <laughs> you remember that? That was a debacle. But I did have one of the trainers tell me that I'm hypersensitive. If I think like that, that makes you hypersensitive. I'm going, you're a white guy. How are you going to tell me what makes me hypersensitive? Uh -huh. He says, I, I look at everything based on race when it, sometimes it can't be. Okay. How do you tell me what my experiences are? Right. And see, again, like history, you go by your experience. Well, may, maybe people aren't that good. And they tend to um, favor people that are like them. I Human nature. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, sometimes we as humans have immediate visceral reactions. But what make us really useful and good humans is that we quickly update our data. So we may have a, a visceral reaction. You thought you were talking about some use of force scenarios or whatever, but to quickly update that with with good information, you know, mm -hmm. and and I think that's, um, um, I, I I remember I used this as an example in a job I was trying to get where they asked a race a race question and I talked that I tried to make that as an example that if you have a reaction to a group of people that you don't know or are unfamiliar with you may have an immediate reaction to that. I mean, they say that's one way even biases are transmitted is a parent will squeeze a child's hand in the presence of certain people and that child figures out mom or dad was extra scared so they kind of learn these kind of responses. Yeah. So my point is, is that it's okay to maybe have an immediate reaction, but what's not okay is not quickly updating that data right. with facts or recognizing that you may have a reaction. One thing I was going to mention to you um, is so my experience as a white officer, yeah, uh, that I was gonna that I think seems so when, when it's particularly painful to be uh, I, I, to have instead of curiosity about why someone does what they do, yeah. let's say, let's take Darren Wilson for example, in Ferguson, mm -hmm. to assume it was sinister, to assume that he was motivated by like, how could you shoot an unarmed black man? Well, I can think of dozens of reasons you can shoot an unarmed person, mm -hmm. all of which are protected by the Constitution, mm -hmm. all of which our loved ones, if they knew what was happening, would want us to, so we'd come home. 
But then sometimes the assumption, because people don't understand how that could happen, where you and I as police officers know how that could happen. Yes. Um, we don't insert necessarily s sinister intent for that. Another point I wanted to make is why it's particularly painful for me, uh, and I'm older than most people at work, to be tacitly assumed to be racist by certain things, certain situations, is my experience as a police officer is that I've been in the homes of, I'll just say black and brown people's homes, yeah. when their matriarch died, when mm -hmm. their patriarch died. Yes. Uh, I've heard them weep and cry in the back of my police car after we've talked them out of not killing themselves. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. talked them out of, in a drunken state, from visiting their, their child on a, on a cold, wet evening and wanting to take them out for their, for their birthday. I mean, uh, I've, I feel like, um, or I not feel like, I think I've had a lot of really, for lack of better terms, intimate exposure. And we, I've been in the, these folks' homes. And, and this and, job. And, and as, right, and as a police that. officer, you, yeah. get, you go into people's homes yeah. um, kind of semi-uninvited means you really see how people live you yeah. see the, the artwork on their wall yeah. you see the uh, what they what they cook and what yeah. they eat and what they drink and what they think is funny mm -hmm. and what they've um so that's why i feel like it's really on that's what makes you love the job and it's unjust to to be accused to have this sinister intent interpreted we as police officers have a lot of direct experience with the sad suffering parts of the world yes we as police officers really judge people by their behavior for damn good reason. Right. Uh, we, you brought up profiling. We profile because it makes sense, and all humans profile. Right. Um, but we don't profile for the sake of someone's race. We go on their behavior. And the experiences we get from visiting with people like you just, the examples you gave, mm -hmm. you made a difference in somebody's life. And I agree with you. We, we judge, I remember, I mean, in, in even in, the reason you're profiling, so yes, so we judge people on behavior because yeah. that's the, that makes sense mm -hmm. and uh, we don't know what pe is in people's minds. Uh, so, and it's a, it relatively effective. Very effective. Yeah. And to learn what's in people's minds, you got to talk to them. You brought this up earlier. You're uh -huh. right. You got to talk to them. And even I had um, um, another podcast we did where it becomes so clear to me that the most effective officers are ones that t are able to talk to people in a way that is not doesn't shame them, right? Uh, honor, honors them, to use those terms. And what's remarkable about that? It doesn't mean that you grew up in Frogtown. There are cops from all over very safe suburbs mm -hmm. that are exceptionally or in rural Minnesota, exceptionally skilled at this. And I think it has to do with their heart and mind mm -hmm. and also their learned experience. And yes. they're trying to be effective. Um, one thing I was going to ask you is uh, I want to shit on the media a little bit here because okay. you brought that up earlier. Um, and even some of the situations you talked that way, I thought, well, I'm not sure that's racist or race motivated. I think it's probably either poor tactics, mm -hmm. unskilled police officers, inexperienced yes. police officers, and also um, sometimes mistakes. Sometimes, I mean, people, 
you know, physicians and nurses and linesmen and all kinds of people are making mistakes continuously. Right. Um, our mistakes tend to be, uh, I'm not saying they're bigger because there's plenty of medical personnel and yeah. coaches so, yeah. and teachers that make profound mistakes that have profound impact. But the, the media, I really believe that they have an interest in the narrative that there is huge conflict between police officers and the black community. And, right. and, and I'll just say, I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true. I think there's a history that they can draw on and say, this is why. Police officers kill, what, thousand or less people a year? Mm -hmm. And heart disease kills how many? Yeah. Well, doctor's errors. Doctor's errors, yeah, yeah. even 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 more. Right. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a media driven narrative that says I'm supposed to hate you because of the uniform you wear and the color of your skin. You and vice versa. You're supposed to hate me because of the neighborhood I live in right. and the color of my skin. Right. It's all a farce. It. I believe it is. But here's one thing I'm worried about. I'm very concerned about police officers subdividing. And I already mm -hmm. said at the beginning that, you know, I really, I'm really uncomfortable with like, okay, I need to get a gay cop on my podcast and a black cop and mm -hmm. a brown, because when is, where does it end? And also it why, doesn't end. And why, and why, and why don't, why, if I don't just keep getting interesting cops on, it'll eventually include all those groups. It will. Yeah. And, and, and the reason, I kind of trying to make that statement at the beginning is I want you to know that I'm going against my instincts here, but I think enough people have said, this is a big issue. We need to hear from some black officers, you know? Yeah. That's not going against your instinct. That's, that's going with what you understand and believe. Well, that's this generous. Is, Thank you. This is a big issue with black police officers to see that happen. So is it to see anyone get killed? Sure. By a police officer, it's an issue. Right. It's dev that, that video is devastating, mm -hmm. and I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not saying uh, who caused what or what. I'm right. just saying that is a modern time devastating video. Yes. Uh, but one thing. Let me get back to this. Is something I'm really concerned about. Is is cops subdividing, and then yeah. if we start to eat each other. I mean, maybe That's I'm naive, naive, and I sometimes am. To me, but, that's but always there's a happened. lot of a love and affection a ton. That, that we show each other across mm -hmm. race and gender and and it doesn't whatever. matter. It it doesn't. I mean, at least at our department, it doesn't matter. You're right. At least in our department, there is a lot of love that we show each other. Why? Because we have a brother sisterhood with one another, right. and it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation you are. Because I believe our department tends to hire genuine people probably 95% of the time. Uh -huh. And I think we do a good job at that. When we have new people come on, as you and I did, like you said, you kind of, before we started this conversation, you kind of find out the ones who are really bad human beings. Right. That aren't, that when, when a person is vulnerable, like new Mm -hmm. They, 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 uh, what do you call it? 
use that against you or when, when you're vulnerable. It's just like being traveling when you're a stranger in a strange country. Yeah. A little bit of kindness is unforgettable. Right. And it shows a lot of character. And the people who try to take advantage of you, it's right. human nature. This person's new, so I assume they're weak. Right. So I'm going to make myself feel better and just crap all over them. Yeah, you got it. So we have, I think, that at our agency, maybe, but I shouldn't assume that because some people I'm sure feel otherwise. I know they feel otherwise. I think it's gotten much better. Oh, it has. Okay. Okay. I started in 95. Right. I think how we treat the new people today, much better. Yeah. Much better. We make them feel part of who we are and we make them want to fit in right away. I've seen that change drastically Mm -hmm. than how it used to be. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about even uh, diverse police departments, I was thinking, um, and as far as cops showing affection, and when I say affection, I mean welcoming, physically hugging and touching and patting each other on the back yeah. and being with each other, all signs that we like each other and respect and care. And I know there's people that feel isolated. There's mm-hmm. people that feel outside the group. We have dysfunction, sure. Yeah, like any family, right. if you're going to use the term family. Um but I, there's a quote about race that I think is interesting. I heard a, a New York cop say, and, and she was talking about going to diversity training. And she said, and, and she said, diversity training, I don't know the race of half the cops I work with. And, <laughs> and, I, and that was a great quote because I think her point was, so, so you're going to want me to learn more about going into these people's homes and yeah. seeing what they have on their walls, all the things we talked about earlier that we really do experience directly. Mm-hmm. We've seen them suffer. We've been them with them when they weep. We've given them huge breaks because we don't want to add to their suffering. Right. All of us have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's saying not even that experience. I don't even know what race the cops I work with because they're all kind of hodgepodge. It, it, hodgepodge. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and right. Exactly. So I, I want to, again, the, I think, I actually think the media, here's what I think. I'm not stupid. If you make, if you say something erroneous or untrue, and often we as police officers know what the actual truth is because mm-hmm. we were there. Yep. You could, you hear that untruth being said enough times where you go, this is intentional. This is no longer a mistake. Right. You don't say the word murder when you meant the, when you should have said the word homicide. Right. Because you're a you're a law enforcement person or mm-hmm. you are a journalist. So it makes me think. Their, their motivations are very different. And actually, they people do things for a reason. I think they want more divide. Yes. And, and, and I'm worried about divide within our own agency and even amongst police officers. And we should be worried about it. We should. The average person, when they look at the boob tube, they believe it. Because it's on the news, it's on TV. They believe it. We're not average people. We're like what I like to call, we're the cream of the crop. And it's true. Everyone walking down the street can't do this job and won't do it. There's very few people can do this work. So it's a calling for you. It, it is. Um, but one thing I also like to say about it, it's a job that's easy to do poorly, but a yes, hard is. job to do well. Yes. And, and um, I don't know what we're in right now. I, it's, I, it's so shocking, some of it. Um, 
And what I'm talking about is the huge, it's almost like I was talking to a friend today, you know, if you see a crack in your, in your wall, but you realize it's the foundation has dropped, shifted. Yeah. And you're like, well, not only is the foundation shifted, but someone undermined the foundation, you know, right. they did. And, um, so I, I feel like something significant has changed in our careers. So and how do we straighten it out? Well, thank you for asking that. Well, maybe it's nothing we need to say straighten out. Maybe it's nothing we need to straighten out. Maybe it's something we need to change. All right. So, so do we ahead. straighten it out and go back to what we're used to doing? Or do we start making some changes? Yeah. I think our department has made some changes yeah. on how we do training. I mean, our physical training. The big thing I've noticed with the 21st century policing is the wellness. The thing you're pretty much in charge of, the wellness. I take that to heart. I want to make sure, I call them my officers when they come to work. Sure. I want to make sure, I always tell them, I don't want to get in your life and know everything about your home life. But I need to know if it's okay, if something is going on. I don't need the gory details. I just need to know why you're different today. And I want to, we're good profilers, right? Yeah. I want to think I'm good at picking that up from my people. But that's, that's why peer support, for example, whether it's formal or informal. Right. Formal is that we have peer support. Informal is what you do mm -hmm. because you're not on the peer team. Um, it's informal. Who knows cops better than other cops, and, and, and they see them every day? That, that. Right. And I think what, what you're describing also is, um, I think what we have at our agency, and I wish I could take credit for it, there's a culture, and I, again, I know there are people suffering massively, quietly, mm -hmm. and um, doing ineffectual things to get better and there's people sure. enabling that okay so i'm not i'm not dumb yeah right but yeah. we also have a culture within our agency of wellness and and well we had a wellness program before there was the term wellness program right. in fact i have other agencies call me about our wellness program and thinking i i don't know we don't really have one we have <laughs> we have a, a robust and high functioning ap we have a physical fitness program but i mm -hmm. think what we have best is this what you just described, this kind of a culture of brother's keeper. And, and I yeah, mean brothers. Looking out as, for each other. Right. And, and uh, we've probably done that every, since 1854. I think so. Effectively and ineffectively. I mean, yeah. we're not perfect at it. And no. obviously, I say that respectfully because I know there are people that are quietly suffering. But Right. But we try to look out for one another. And it doesn't have to be someone blaring, I have problems. It could just be something little. Sometimes it's just listening. Well, and that's why what you said to me was really helpful in the sense that you, I said, maybe I'm going against my instincts here, but you said, no, your instincts were, this is something that needs to be talked about. And, and yeah. my instinct is fear. I'm afraid that we will subdivide by all the subcategories. And sorry to describe that as a subcategory. I just don't know how else to describe it. Um, I, I was a subcategory at my other jobs, you know, um, but it maybe is the way we're not going to be able to fix other cities and, no. and this issue. But we can talk to each other. And our area of responsibility. Yeah. And I'm finding that uh, my, my co-sergeant, 
me and some other black officers were talking, and he kind of came in the room. He's a white officer. Mm-hmm. And I could see, profiling again, by his body language and the look on his face, he felt like he interrupted something. Yeah. And I turned to him and I said, these are conversations we need to have together. You need to know my experiences and I need to know yours. We're having a conversation about race relations and we're going to be doing this. And he kind of looked at me and jumped right in the conversation. Excellent. And he kind of said, hey, so I don't see some things from your perspective. I want to hear it and learn about it. And it was a lot of, I didn't know that. I did know that, you know, and it was a good conversation. And this officer had a lot of input about race relations. And the few officers were there. It made them look at him differently. Maybe they had some assumptions about what white police officers think. Right. And it was just a great conversation. And I told him, we're going to do this all the time. I'm with you all the time. You need to ask me stuff that you're afraid to ask me. And, and I think what we need, the language around all this seems paralyzed to me. We're so afraid of saying the wrong thing and expressing right. our ignorance. And I don't believe he, you he have even more. Used those words. <laughs> I don't believe I have more ignorance about race issues necessary than you do. I don't. We, right. we we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. In fact, I some often really actually resented that issues regarding race are always focused on black and brown people because I'm thinking, well, this isn't this isn't this isn't not this necessarily all, aren't, true. Aren't we all in this? Isn't this a impa- we're, we're, impact? We all live here, and it impacts all of us. That is true. Right. We all had different experiences. Yeah. And that's what we have to share with one another, what our experiences are. Well, so let's take this opportunity. Oh, let me do a commercial, and then I'm okay. going to ask you, I'll give you, leave you time to think about, since you're, you're on a podcast right now, yeah. what message would you like to share that you think okay. would be useful to the listeners, many of which will be our coworkers? Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, you might be interested in my book. It's called Good Cop, Good Cop, a Get Healthy, Stay Healthy Guide for Law Enforcement. I cover a lot of different topics in here in the book, um, and uh, it's available on audiobook as well, and it can, or it can be purchased through Amazon. And you can also find more information at goodcopgoodcop.com. So didn't I say at the beginning part of my uh, motivation for this is self-promotion? Because I think I, what I have to say is so important. Uh, but it turns out... Uh, I do believe I'm a story collector. I've always been that way. I'm intensely interested in what, how people think and my coworkers and all that type of stuff. So, all right, did I give you enough time? To- yeah, absolutely. This is what police officers need to do to live, work, and understand each other. It's very simple. We need to talk to one another. Next step, we need to respect each other for our own life experiences. No better, no worse, different. I heard a comedian say that. Hmm. Uh, if we can talk to one another, share experiences, get to know one another, we'll go a long ways. Ask each other the tough, tough, tough questions. Don't be afraid to ask. That is the only way you're going to get an answer. What's going to divide us is making assumptions about one another without facts, 
without vision, without hope. If we talk to one another, we give each other facts. We give each other hope. And we get to see each other's lives. And you can do that many ways. Over coffee in the morning, in the squad driving around, or you can just get with some citizens and pull them in and say, hey, we're arguing about the, the Vikings and the Packers. We need your opinion on this. And then you start talking about old Packers, old Vikings. Then you start talking about, hey, you remember when they wouldn't let you sit in this section? That's how you lead into things. And we're glad it's not like that anymore. You remember when a black cop couldn't ride with a white cop? I don't remember that. I don't either. Oh. I don't either. But, there, you know, on that same level, there was once a rumor around here two black cops couldn't ride together. Really? Because you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so but if we do those things, we'll start to understand each other more. Turn off your dang own TV and your social media. Oh, man. Um, yeah, what's, uh, there's an old phrase that if you watch the new, if you, it's an, actually an old phrase from the early history of America, where if you, uh, not watch, if you read the news, um, you're, uh, if you don't want, read the news, you're uninformed. If you read the news, you're ill-informed. Ill it actually no. makes you dumber. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I was going to mention, I love really what you said. I actually um, look forward to hearing it again, what you just said as far as your about having a conversation. I want to add something to that, and that is um, we don't have to get the language exactly right. Uh, and, and there's a reason for that. Because then we get stuck on the language. And you know yep. very well, someone can say the exact right words, but you can feel from them that they're judging you and they think poorly of you, for example. Where yep. someone can use, botch the whole language, use the wrong words, yep. but you can sense, let's say, their heart. Mm -hmm. And you're like, we're, we're in this together. The reason I say that is the language gets really difficult sometimes. Yep. And also, um, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. And what he talks about is... When you express your thoughts freely, um, you actually hear yourself talk and see people's reactions. So you, some of the things that we talk about amongst each other isn't yeah. fully formed ideas. Not at all. <laughs> and we're getting feedback like, ah, I was a little off on that. But we yeah. don't want, if someone engages you in a talk about race, if they say it slightly wrong, they just go back into their like, ah. I look like an idiot there. You go back in the shell. I'm not going to talk at all. Right. And now they're going to think this about me. No, um, that's not helpful. We just have to loosen up the whole. And, and what I don't think, I think, you're, I think in law enforcement, people would be shocked to hear how cops talk to each other. I mean. It's horrible. Well, in, 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 some, ways it's, in some ways, if you go get a, a job after you retire and you talk like that, you're going to be fired within right. a day. It's pretty loose and it's pretty, mm -hmm. it's pretty direct and a lot of way very healthy. Maybe not so in some ways. Right. So but why can't we be honest with one another? About, especially about these issues. Yeah. Yes, I agree. When we can do that. Yeah. And you know it gets shut down sometimes because you're worried about saying the right thing. Did I say that right? Did I offend right. him? Just say it. And just ask. And, 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 we, and, and we'll get further. And hope that they judge you by your behavior. Like mm -hmm. we judge criminals by their behavior. Or I, said, I should say criminals, but yeah. um, that's, we're in that business. And also... Um, 
that do that pay you the greatest respect is when they come and talk to you and, and clarify something. Yeah. Instead of uh, going off with a false notion or bad-mouthing you, you know. Yeah, and I've had that both ways. Sure. I've had people ask questions to verify something, and I've had people just run off at the mouth to others. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of stuff I ignore. Yeah. You asked me earlier, what's it like being a black cop? And I'm going to borrow this from a show that I watched. Uh, it's an entertaining show, I thought. I don't even know the name of it. But the young man said, a million paper cuts a day. And I added, followed by alcohol being poured on it. A million paper cuts a day. And you heal when you go home to your family. You heal when you shut the doors. Now, you're, you're looking at me and you're going, is that what it's like to be a black cop? On bad days, yes. On bad days, that's exactly what it's like. And when you're probably thinking, well, when do you have bad days? Uh, standing in front of Target getting rocks and bottles thrown at me and called every name in the book that I've heard for 27 years about being a black police officer. Mm -hmm. I, st I stood in front of Target. I stood at Griggs and University mm -hmm. for hours. For hours. Got Beaten, called every name in the book. Every name in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a million paper cuts a day. Yeah. I call that human suffering. Mm -hmm. it, I, I, that, that wasn't fair of me to say it because basically you said it was related to being a black cop and I... And I, some of it is, and some of it isn't. But I, how, I think it's human suffering. I think it is human suffering. When yeah. I hear people saying things to my white colleagues that they're murderers and Klansmen, and I'm standing next to these people, and I know they're not. Yeah. You know, it is human suffering. It's horrible. You know, let me say something. I think police officers are better than regular people. <laughs> I said we're the cream of the crop. I, I I think we are. And I hope people don't take offense to that, but the job that we do, it is extremely difficult. Right. And you have to be very well trained and, we don't do and it. rounded to do it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's Trained okay. and rounded. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't do it necessarily so selflessly. No, and we're not perfect. And, and I think, too, we were talking yesterday about... Oh, we have an oath that we take. Most of us don't know what the oath was, no, but but, but we took we had an orientation that that yeah. that what that oath mean made us want to be cops. Yeah. And then also again this whole idea of us subdividing. I'm worried because we really need each other. We need to do what you in the worst way. In the in the worst way, we really need each other. Uh, and I think I'll just I won't keep saying it over and over, but I think what you said about having be more courageous. To have conversations, yeah, um, and and then and be more generous when someone has a conversation that you don't, we don't shut them down because they right. say say the say partially or an inaccurate thing or partial statement. You should be big enough to say, "I'm thankful you came to me to ask me," mm -hmm. and and that should be it. And then you just have a discussion. And I hope cops listening to this are not only trying to do it with your coworkers. Do it to the people you serve. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the people you serve want to ask you all kinds of things. And, and when they feel comfortable with you, they will. But you got to let them know, hey, come ask me. Be comfortable with me. People want to hear that. You know what? I think you said something that's very important. You said a lot of things important. But I, 
I'm proud of one time, a couple times, where I've been placed, Rondo Library, standing at Snelling University, mm -hmm. and someone approached me and said, I remember one guy in particular said, I know I can tell you this by the look on your face. Another one said, and I was thinking, so cops, I get it. Even during the riots, I was in uniform. People, like friendly, good people, yeah. would look at and wave, and I'd give them this blank look like, I don't know. What what you want from me? You know, I was so freaking worn out, and yeah. and I saw so much evil doing and such. Mm -hmm. And those people were waving because they knew you were worn out. Yeah, and I they and, and you were beat and, up. And it basically, I was like, oh, I just I just basically said to them, I'm one of the damaged ones out here, you know, and like maybe well, they could read it. But the, my yeah. point on it is, is I hope cops soften their faces um, because, uh, and I know this whole wearing masks thing is yeah. whatever, but I hope cops soften their faces because yeah. people look them and they and i, I was at m h once and a, and a woman walked in and she came up to me and said i know i can tell you this i used to get high here all the time mm -hmm. and this is the first time i've been back and not trying to score and i've never even talked to a cop before <laughs> she really needed to tell you that and, then, and get that off her chest and then just think of the 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 dark look we give people because we're yeah. like, th th uh, are you a threat or not? You know, that right. kind of, and that's part of the job. I get that. But oh, we have to, we, we have to, we have that's to. That's a change we, we got to make. And we have to update our database really yeah. quickly. Like, okay, it's okay. I had that reaction, mm -hmm. threat or no threat. But let me give people, and I'm not saying a big smiley grin all the time. Right. But an open, friendly face. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is powerful stuff. And, and people need to talk to us. The public does as well. Especially when they need help. I ran into a guy. Oh, actually, I witnessed this myself. Guy gets out of his car at the m and It's funny you bring that up because I witnessed this myself. He got out of his car. He ran over to a squad where he saw two officers sitting. And he did the universal, this is what he called it, the universal I need help sign language. Mm -hmm. Hands above his head waving them. I need help. Can you help me? What made that man erupt in anger was each cop sitting in that car yeah. both leaned over to reach yeah. reach for their guns yeah and it set him in a whirlwind right and he came in he wouldn't talk to them he came in and talked to me and said my daughter just ran away yeah and she's on drugs and doing all kinds of things i need help and he even said i gave them the universal yeah. signal of I need help, I need help, I need help. And they reach for their guns. It just, it's, it's just a barrier. And, and if a cop, I agree, and if a cop makes that decision, which they rationalize or justify, but you can recover from that too. And yeah. you can say to people, sorry, my first reaction mm -hmm. was this. When someone ran towards and, me. Right, and this, this guy would have gone, okay, I get it, Let's, can I continue? Mm-hmm. But to leave it there... It got left there and it got dumped on me. Right. And also, another thing is, sometimes we, we throw a net out and grab people. Turned out they're not the people. Mm -hmm. And we say we brush them off. Yeah. I mean, we really owe them an, a better explanation mm -hmm. and, and, um, than that. So I, I'm sorry that that happens. I know that it does happen. Yeah. And maybe in my tired, hungry, pissed off moments, maybe I did that. But mostly I didn't because I've so valued, um, as I know you do. Your interactions. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that open, f that face, you know, and maybe yeah. that, maybe I'm saying stuff to people like whatever, 
sorry, I'm not interested. But, no. Um, <laughs> it's a barrier. Yeah. And you, if you let that barrier down, people open up to you. I tell people my first name. And I, when I came on the job, that was a no-no. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anyone your first name. And you heard it from cops, and you figured out short time later, those yeah. are not so good cops. Yeah. And now I make it a, a point to tell someone my first name. And when people know you by their first, your first name, it seems like they know you. You know, even th- though they don't. When I was new, a cop came up to me and said, "You hate people yet?" No, I wouldn't be doing this if I hated people. And I remember thinking, "What?" I mean, yeah. I, I get it. I I'm having trouble right now, actually, with the world and and, yeah. and the suffering. I and, joke about it too. But, I'm tired of people. I'm tired of being around them. I'm right. ready to retire. Right. Um, but the hate thing, I thought, hmm. I think cops get wounded, and um, you got to repair. And it gets, and the world gets smaller, and there's a certain amount of cynicism that is seen as hard-won experience. Right. But you and I both know there are guys on this job, men and women on this job that have tons of experience, but haven't embraced that cynicism to the same level. Now right. I understand a certain cynicism is necessary. If I get you, it. If you approach strangers for a living, I get right. it. Right. But again, this reminds me of the whole thing of. Quickly updating your information. Right. Based on. Well, anyway, um, anything else you want? Anything you thought I was going to ask you that I didn't when you were thinking about coming over here? No. You ask me everything, and I appreciate that. I'd like to do this again. Great. So, actually, um, I'll just ask you, keep notes on things that you think you'd like to talk about, or maybe we do it in a different format. We don't have to do it on a podcast. You're welcome to do it on a podcast, but if there's some other... And, and I forgot to ask you ahead of time, but maybe this is a plug for that, is often I let officers plug topics or issues they think mm-hmm. are important. I, I think this might be the um, Townsend Town Hall, just joking, that, where, yeah. you know, the kind of the conversation thing. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking of asking cops to really talk to each other. And we should talk to each other so we don't feel defeated. These last couple of weeks, cops, have, they feel defeated. Mm-hmm. By the actions of a few. Right. And you got to remind them. This is not everyone. A friend of mine sent me a, a letter that Martin Luther King wrote to some cops from jail. He wrote these cops a letter from jail. And it pretty much said, uh, the job you do is an honor. I can't remember what it says verbatim. But Dr. King said, I hate to see all of you good men and women painted with the same brush. And I read that in roll call one day, just last week. And it was, you know how you can see the wheels turning in people's heads? It was pure silence, and everyone was thinking about what I just read them. And, and it, I believe some of them embraced it and kind of went, that made me feel better. That all of us aren't bad. And a couple of cops even asked me, can you, can you text that to me? Because it helped him. Well, I just looked it up quick because I am so skilled in this type oh, of I stuff. Oh, I see that. Go ahead. I don't know if this is it. It said letter from Birmingham jail, but I put in there to cops. So people can search for that. Maybe Terry and I, if we, we, maybe we can find that and put it in the notes of the podcast too. That'd be great. Can you read it? You uh, well, I don't. I have it here, but I don't know if it's it's even the right one. And um, Let's see if I can find it. 
his letter from Birmingham jail. Uh, that sounds famous, though, so I don't know if it was the one towards cops. What's that, Ter? I'm going to find it. You're right, it's a Birmingham jail. Yours for the cause of peace and brotherhood. We are living in a crucial moment, and I am so grateful for your partnership as we try to take steps along that path. I am deeply saddened. I lost my track there. I'm deeply saddened by the broad brush used to paint all police as aggressors, but also deeply grateful for my friendship with and lived experience of knowing so many fine and decent men and women in law enforcement. My prayer is that your voices and style of practice rise to the top as police practices are scrutinized. Be safe and stay well, my friend. Thanks for reading that. Thanks for, one, you brought it to your roll call, and now you've brought it to this audience. I feel really uh, fortunate that, you, that that occurred to you. To I could tell that some people, after hearing that, they really thought about each word. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rondell. You're welcome. Tony, Ronnie. I, don't, yeah. I don't, can't call you Ronnie. I don't know you that well yet. Well, we'll work on it. Okay. And then uh, I bought some cigars for us because, you oh. know, uh, last time I saw you, we were in the midst of the riots. Yeah. And then you gave me a cigar. Oh, oh yeah. And then... Um, I think nothing of it. Yeah, well, I, I, I got some for us tonight, so... Okay. If you're, if you're willing to stay, but... Well, let me see what time it is. Well, don't, don't give an answer on the air. Let's just let people think that you and I have a cigar. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, like I say, get back to work. Yeah. Thank you.